0: So I'm coming to you again this Sabbath in a way I would prefer not to, but uh, as I mentioned last Sabbath, uh, COVID had gotten loose in our house, actually it got loose at Campion and Ariel caught it and came home for a little while. So we were being uh, abundantly careful last Sabbath, uh, but then uh, Ariel's on the mend. She's actually feeling a whole lot better and may well be returning to campus If the test she got today checks out okay, she'll be returning for classes next week. But unfortunately, now Alicia has tested positive and uh, has actually had some pretty tough days this week, feeling pretty lousy. But uh, uh, we're working our way through that and appreciate your prayers for her. Kind of an interesting thing uh, for a long time. Everybody was making fun of Florida and a number of other states because they were having such a tough go with COVID. Well, a lot of those places are doing a lot better now. And uh, turns out that uh, Colorado is really one of three states, only three states in the whole country that are continuing to get worse at this point. So uh, I guess we're doing it right. We're getting it at the right time. But uh, this is the reason we're continuing to be careful and the reason you're seeing me on video again today is because we continue to hold to that value. Uh, We don't want anyone getting sick as a result of coming to the worship service at the Boulder Church. So that's the value that we're continuing to hold and that's the reason you see me on video this week again. I hope this is the last time, but as we've all learned incredibly well over the last few years, we make our plans but the Lord directs our steps. And uh, those words in James, you say you will do this, but you should say if the Lord wills it. I've learned to say those things. So uh, we'll try to take the lessons that we can. So I'm joining you this way again this week. I'm thankful we have this option. As we talk this week about purpose, do you have a purpose? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that your Holy Spirit power works just as well by this means as it would by me being in the room this morning. I pray, Lord, that uh, you will speak to our hearts and that we will understand the purpose that you do in fact have for us. We have a ways to go to flesh it out, but help us to believe that you have your eye on us and believe in this community uh, to do your will in this day. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 22 years ago, almost to the day, it was, in fact, October 25, 1999. So this is the 30th now. So almost exactly 22 years ago, a Learjet 35 took off from Orlando International Airport, headed to Dallas. And as the jet took off and was climbing... On autopilot towards its uh, altitude that it was supposed to maintain, something went wrong. No one's completely sure what exactly went wrong, but something went wrong that caused an apparent loss of cabin pressure in a manner that caused everyone on board to become incapacitated by hypoxia. When you get up there 30,000 feet or more, if the cabin loses pressure somehow, you can very quickly, within like eight seconds, become affected to the degree that you can't reason your way through to do what you need to do. And apparently something happened. Now, immediately, nobody on the ground knew that anything had happened. And the problem didn't become apparent to people on the ground until – suddenly the pilots were no longer responding to ground control. And it became clear that something wasn't right, something more than a radio failure, when the plane continued on its climb above the altitude that they were supposed to level off at, that the pilot would have leveled off at that altitude. There were six people on board, two pilots, two sports agents, a golf course designer, and the professional golfer Payne Stewart. Maybe you remember Payne Stewart if you followed golf or have followed golf at any time. He was he was uh, a figure that was always easy to identify because he wore uh, unusual clothes on the golf course. You can look him up on Wikipedia later if you want to and see what I'm talking about. But uh, he, he stood out not just with his clothes but also with his philanthropy and also that he was a winner. He had won 11 times on tour, including three majors, and had become uh, a person of significance in the Orlando area uh, through his philanthropy and his work with his community. And he was on his way that next weekend to play in one more tournament that year, but was stopping off in Dallas because of a project he was involved with there. Well, it was on the plane, and this plane was supposed to climb to the northwest and then turn to the west to head on towards Texas, but the plane never made the turn. It just continued to climb and continued on its northwest route. Well, ground control wanted to know what was going on, and there happened to be a uh, jet fighter in the area, and they got in touch with this fighter pilot and said, will you fly close to this plane and see what's going on? And he he flew close to the plane, and the plane's flying through the air. It looks perfectly fine from the outside. There's nothing obviously wrong with it, but there, was, there seemed to be some sort of ice and condensation on the windows. If you know anything about how this goes, that is a sign that the cabin has lost pressure, and all of the moisture inside the cabin has, has uh, condensed and frozen onto the windows, so they couldn't actually see in but it didn't look like there was anything going on on the inside. So think about this scenario. Here's this Learjet. It looks just fine. It's flying just fine on autopilot. It's got plenty of fuel, but there's no longer anybody at the controls. It's flying just fine, but it's doomed. It would take four hours and 1500 miles later for the fuel in that plane to finally run out. At which point there were a couple of other uh, fighter pilots who had intercepted and were flying along with it. It, it, was, it was near Aberdeen, South Dakota when it finally ran out of fuel. And as it ran out of fuel, it, it went into a spiral dive and crashed in a field there in South Dakota. I remember hearing about this story. I, I got news of this story somehow. I don't remember exactly how, but that that an airplane that Payne Stewart was in was flying, but contact had been lost and nobody was really sure what was going to come of it all, but everybody was pretty sure those on board uh, had already been lost, but this plane was still flying. And it was quite a compelling story as... As the hours went by that day, as this plane just flew through the air, the helpless feeling. Everything looked good, but there was no longer anyone alive inside. This isn't a powerful example of what can happen when there's just machinery, but no longer purpose. It can keep running. It looks just fine. It's doing what it's supposed to do. It's on autopilot. But there's nobody inside anymore. There's no longer a purpose. This is a power example of what can happen to a machine, but I want to tell you something else. This same thing can happen to a church. We're in the midst of our series on the five questions The five questions that anyone who comes into a community like the Boulder Adventist Church has a right to ask and has a right to get an answer. The five questions being, do you want me here? Do you love me? Is the Lord with you? Do you have a purpose? And is there a place for me in that purpose? So we've we've spent some time on do you want me here and do you love me and last Sabbath, we wrapped up our question, is the Lord with you? And so this week we begin with the question, do you have a purpose? Anyone who comes into this community, whether they're a Christian believer or an Adventist believer or a completely unbeliever, has a right to know, does this community have a purpose? Now, let me give you a little, uh, uh, a little information on the schedule in the next coming weeks. Pastor Jay is going to get involved in this series starting next Sabbath. In fact, he's going to preach two weeks in a row because he speaks very strongly on this point, and we very much need to hear his voice in this issue of, do you have a purpose, and is there a place for me in that purpose? So so he's going to take the second week of do you have a purpose, and then he's going to kick off uh, the question, is there a place for me in that purpose? So that'll be the next two Sabbaths. I'm introducing this topic today. He will take us much deeper next week. And and in an introduction to this topic, I want to take you back to the book of Revelation. We've looked at several churches so far from the chapters two and three of Revelation that talk about the seven churches, letters to real churches that existed in the day of John. Now we've done a lot of different things with these, and I encourage you to take your Bible and turn to revelation chapter 3 to follow along here. We've done a lot as adventists with these churches interpreting them different ways, but for our purpose in this series and continuing today, I want us to see them as real communities of believers and to see what lessons we can learn. We've 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 learned a little about Ephesus, the church that everything was going well but it lost its first love. We learned about Laodicea, the church that that was just rolling along, and and it was like God wasn't even a part of of the issue anymore. They they were rich and increased. They didn't need it. Well, I want to take you to another one. And this time, Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I come to you. It's fascinating words to this church in Sardis. The what, what Jesus is saying to this church is, from the outside, you look alive, but just like Payne Stewart's plane, there's nothing left inside. Does this ever happen to churches? It's become trendy. I don't know if you've noticed this. It's become trendy to turn old dead churches into upscale eateries or bars. Now, now when I say that, I'm talking about the building. And that, that's kind of parallel to the plane in a sense here. But I'm talking about the building. But the church never really is just the building. It's about the people who are a part of it. But too often what has happened is the people who are a part of it have lost their purpose, they've lost their era, they've lost their place, and everything inside died. The only thing that was left was this building. And someone came along and said, hey, I'm going to turn that into something useful. I feel a personal pain in my heart every time I go by an old church where people used to gather, where the Spirit of the Lord used to be present, where faith was built, where families came together, where the lost were found. and find that the light has gone out. And now it's, it's something entirely different. This church in Sardis is in danger of this situation happening. Now, before you run ahead of me here, I'm not saying the Boulder Adventist church is Sardis. And I'm not saying the Boulder Adventist Church is that ill-fated Learjet, but I want us to take warning from these stories. Revelation chapter 3, verse 2 says, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I've not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. There's a dynamic that takes place within Adventism. And if you look around and you look at different places, you can see it. We've existed long enough now for us to see these stories and know how they go. And I call it the long, slow death of formerly institutional churches. You see, an institutional church starts up because the the Adventist community is doing something there besides just that church. There's institutional Adventist churches all over the place. The the church in, in Lincoln, Nebraska, there right next to Union College, is is probably the, the biggest institutional church in our union here. But there's lots of them all around. There's there's the, the church in Collegedale, Tennessee. There's there's Forest Lake Church is an institutional church. There's Uh, Loma Linda, the churches in that area. These are institutional churches, and they're large and they're strong because they minister to an Adventist community that is anchored in place by the existence of other institutional entities all around them. They're very important, and they produce a lot of things that, that the other churches that are not in that setting need in order to continue and to survive. And if you know the history of the Boulder Adventist Church at all, This church was originally an institutional church, in fact, one of the very first centers of Adventism within the entirety of the state of Colorado. So significant it was that that it seems that uh, coming to not necessarily this very building, but but to Boulder at some point were many of the early church leaders and founders, including James and Ellen White, who apparently were in town at one point, uh, and who felt a, a... a common cause in the city of Boulder, there was uh, the sanitarium that was right here next to where this church stands today. And, and it was resonated very well with the health mindedness of many of the ones who are a part of this community. In fact, I've even heard it said that, that one could argue that a lot of the health consciousness of Boulder that exists to this day is thanks to some of the early work of the Adventists Uh, in the sanitarium that stood right here next to this place. And and the Adventist community that grew around that sanitarium and around the school that were located, co-located right in this area, created a a dynamic where there there were Adventists here who needed a place to go to church. I've heard it said that most of these houses around us that are now worth so much. At one time, nearly all of these places were full of Adventists who were a part of this community who worked at the sanitarium. But obviously times have changed. Obviously the community has changed. And and what would have been the fate of the Boulder Adventist Church was what is too often the fate of, of churches like this that get left behind by institutions that relocate is a very slow death, kind of like a plane flying on autopilot that has lost its purpose but will run until it finally runs out of fuel. But there were people who came along into the life of the Boulder Adventist Church who didn't want that to be the outcome. And one of those people that I think we particularly need to note at this point, who came at a critical time in the history of this church, was Pastor Japheth, who came in and said, no, we've got to find a new reality and a new day. And I appreciate the work that he did to, to make a new day possible. Now, I want to go back for just a second to these words to the Church of Sardis. And there's a piece here that I don't so much want us to receive this as a rebuke, but rather as a promise, a promise to a church like the Boulder Adventist Church that has a proud and remarkable history of an institutional presence, but that day has changed, and it no longer finds itself in that reality. And that is in this message of Sardis, Revelation 3, verse 2, it says, wake up strengthen what remains and is about to die. And now here's the part I want us to hear. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Now you might hear that as a rebuke, that we have failed God's purpose. But I want to go another way with that. I want to interpret that another way for us here right now. Here's what I believe. I believe God is saying to us, yes, this church fulfilled its purpose in being this institutional center of, while that reality was here. But that reality is not here anymore. But don't think that because the institution is gone, that the purpose of this church is over. I believe God is saying to us, our work on this hill is not done. You see, you could make the case, if we wanted to stay in the institutional mindset, that the right thing for us to do is sell this land, get out of this town where we no longer have any of that other infrastructure stuff, move on out to Erie or, or over near a Vista hospital or whatever it is, and set up shop there. But I do not believe that's what God wants. And I believe he's saying to us in this passage, your work on this hill is not done. I still have a purpose for the Adventists in Boulder. And when we follow God's call, and when we're faithful to what he's calling us to do, the blessings that come with that are even more than we could hope for. Uh, The message to Sardis, Revelation 3, verse 4. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. I believe this is God speaking to us, to to this few that remains in this place. God is saying, I still have purpose for you. He says, he who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you have ears that hear? What is it that the Lord is saying to our church? I believe one of the things he's saying to us is this is a special time. And this is a time of special challenge. And I need you here. You have purpose. So how do we make sure we never become a flying airplane, seemingly sound, but headed nowhere with no one alive inside? How do we make sure we stay on God's purpose? Well, there's a lot of details that we will have to sort out and arrange in that. But before we get to the details, I want to make sure we understand the big picture. I want to make sure we understand God's stated purpose through Jesus for the entirety of the Christian church, because that's where it starts. Whatever purpose we decide is, in fact, God's purpose for this day and for this time, it's got to align with this. And I'm talking about uh, about Matthew chapter 28. I encourage you to turn over there. It's words that I'm sure you're familiar with. Matthew chapter 28. Now, these words come after what has been a very challenging and difficult time for the disciples, because they did not understand what Jesus was telling them, that he must be betrayed, that he must suffer, that he must die, and on the third day rise again. And they've really been through a challenging time. But now in Matthew 28, Jesus has risen, and he has appeared to them, and he told them, go to Galilee. So the 11 have gone to Galilee, and that's where we pick it up. Verse 16, Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You see how it's still a struggle. It's still a challenge. Verse 18, I know this is the key part. 18 to 20, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We call that the great commission. This is Jesus commissioning his disciples to do what he commissions all believers after to continue. The work that they start is the work that we are to continue. And because they were faithful, and generations after them were faithful, and generations and generations, because of faithfulness through time, we are gathered here today as believers. But the continuation of this gospel going to the world is dependent upon us and on our generation to keep this going. It's pretty straightforward and simple what he says. He says, make disciples. Go make disciples and baptize them as a sign that they have come to walk and be a part of the kingdom of God and teach them. All of these things are critical to every Christian church. And therefore must be critical to us. We've got to be making disciples. We've got to be baptizing believers. And we've got to be teaching those who have come to believe. And then he makes the promise. He says, I will be with you always. It's the promise that answers the third question. Is the Lord with you? If we are on this mission, Jesus says, I guarantee you, I will be with you. Now, we can spend a long time on this, trying to unpack it all, but we're not going to do that today, except I do want to introduce one other concept that we find in the book of Matthew that has to do with Jesus and his purpose and the purpose he's given to us. Part of this, as we continue to unpack this commission and our purpose, is to ask ourselves, well, what was Jesus doing? And as we look at what was Jesus doing, how can that instruct us on what we must do? You see, Jesus came and and began and laid the foundation, and then he turned that work over to his disciples. And that work has passed on down to us. So there's another passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, where there's some important words that speak to us, I believe. It tells us what Jesus was doing, and by inference speaks to us about what we should be doing. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. What was he doing? He was teaching, he was preaching, and he was healing. He was teaching them in the areas where they were ignorant and didn't understand. He was preaching the good news of the kingdom. Preaching is another way. It often overlaps with teaching, but But there is in it an exhortation and a call to decision and action that doesn't always take place in the same way with teaching. And he was healing. Now, if you look at the history of the Boulder Adventist Church, there's a lot of that here. There was a lot of teaching. In fact, there was even a school where teaching went on. There was a lot of healing. There was a sanitarium. And there was a lot of preaching. So those things have been done here. But how do we continue doing them in our day? How do we continue to make a difference? Another passage that speaks to what Jesus was doing is found in Luke, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and we'll begin this time in verse 16. It says, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. Now here's the words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What was Jesus here to do? To preach good news to the poor. The poor being being those who, who had very little, very little money. Or even those who were poor in spirit. Or those who were poor in the sense of of not knowing the riches of the gospel of God. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Uh, Yeah, that means people in prison, but it also means people trapped, people trapped in sin, people trapped in ugly realities, people trapped by the devil. The recovery of sight for the blind. Yes, literally, Jesus made blind people see. But yes, he also, as we talked about in the series from John, he caused Many who who were living in a darkness and a misunderstanding of God's purpose to come to awareness. Are you seeing in any of these things purpose that might be for us in this time? To release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But how? How do we do these things? Well, Jay, who is always more practical than me will help us start to flesh this out. But but I want to go back to something from last Sabbath that I think defines where we need to start right now. And, and I'm, we're not starting from scratch. We have a whole history. There are, There are many greats on whose shoulders we're standing. We're building on top of. But where does our building in this season start? I want to suggest and go back to something that I mentioned last Sabbath that I think defines where we start for this time based in no small part on what I heard and read from the Pulse check Sabbath, from going over the forms you filled out and from the things I heard in the groups. There are three things that stick out to me that I think are very important for us as we begin to build this purpose and we begin to build our progress moving forward. And the first one is this. Love one another. Love one another. When we in our hearts have developed a love for one another within this place, within all the different realities that make up this group, those who have been here for a really long time and can remember history and stories of this church who were a part of it back when it was a functional institutional center, those people, the the ones who have just arrived and have no context for that. Don't even know the stories, the families, the young adults, all of these different groups within this community that that can very easily tend to function kind of in little separate groupings when we really do start to know one another and love one another. And, and, And part of this has fallen apart because of COVID. We've been separated for so long. When someone would walk into this community and say to themselves, well, I don't know much about what they believe, but it's obvious they love one another. This is fulfilling what I think needs to become a very key passage for us. And that is John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. By this we'll all know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. This has got to be key for us. So I think a beginning of our process towards this purpose is this idea of love for one another. The second is that we would come together routinely for very powerful corporate worship. I believe that's key. I believe that's critical to what God wants us to do in this time, that it's part of our purpose that we would gather and worship in a powerful way together. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, yes, I do mean excellence in music and in preaching, and I mean powerful times of prayer. But in many ways, these things themselves are the support of powerful worship, not the core of powerful worship. And we've got to not get these things misaligned or else the worship service turns into a show And I, as a person attending, become a critic. My job is to judge whether the music was was good enough this week. My job is to judge as to whether the preacher got to his point or not. My job is to judge as to whether that was a powerful prayer or not. Now, having said that, it is the responsibility of the musicians and the speakers and those who lead out in prayers and whatever else we're doing that we do it in as God-honoring and truthful and powerful way as we can. But the core to powerful worship rests more with the worshipers than it does with the people in the front, or else it's a performance. You see, powerful worship begins when everyone who comes through the doors comes not to be entertained or enthralled, but rather comes with a mindset to enter into the worship of the creator God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. When each one of us, when we walk into this place, when our mindset is, I am here to worship God with my brothers and sisters whom I love. See, this is the core of powerful worship. This is the secret to what makes power powerful community worship. Very truly, powerful worship starts in our hearts, long before we ever come through these doors so so these two points love one another and powerful corporate worship i think are key to our purpose as we move forward but there's a third one and and the text that goes with this is acts chapter 1 verse 8 and i will read it to you again acts chapter 1 verse 8 This is Jesus talking to the disciples just before he ascends into heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here it is. We have got to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is part of the loving one another, and part of the purpose of powerful corporate witness is that we are more open to receiving the holy spirit in our lives because when the holy spirit comes upon us we receive power to be witnesses so we come into this place we receive the power of the holy spirit in a in a in a, in this corporate worship setting and then we turn and we walk from here with that spirit on us out into this world where we become witnesses whether you're here in Jerusalem Boulder Or whether you're in Judea and Samaria, maybe you're all the way out to Longmont or all the way down to Louisville. Or or maybe you're at the ends of the earth. Maybe you came all the way from Denver, all the way on the other end of the earth. We go out of here with that Holy Spirit power. You see, we've got to become disciples if we're going to make disciples. Our future is not automatic like it was in the days of the institutions. But we're far from doomed. In fact, thanks to the work of so many who have come before us, we have the chance to usher in a remarkable new era for Adventism in Boulder. Not one centered in institutions of the past, but one centered on a people who live the gospel in a place where some people say the gospel isn't welcome. I don't believe that. I believe the gospel is welcome everywhere. I'm not sure everybody knows they want it. But I believe the gospel is the message of Jesus is welcome. But in order for this to happen, in order for this purpose to be fulfilled in us, I believe we have to start here. Love one another, powerful corporate worship, Holy Spirit-inspired witness. We don't have to be the church in Sardis. But that's what we will be if we let what's on the inside die. But I don't think we are sons. I think maybe we're more like another church in Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 3, one by the name of Philadelphia. A church to whom Jesus said in verse 8, he says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I think God is putting an open door in front of us. Maybe it's a door we haven't gone through. Maybe it's one we don't understand everything that's on the other side of it, but I believe he's opened it for us. We're still here. We're still in this place. The institutions have gone, but we still have purpose. We've got to lay hold of that. I'm ready to start walking through that door. Pastor Jay will help us start to do that next Sabbath, but but that's the question. Do you believe God has placed before us in this day an open door? And are you ready to walk through that door? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray indeed you have shown us an open door. I pray that through love for one another, through powerful worship together in this place, And through being filled with your Holy Spirit to go out and witness. That we will more and more clarify exactly what your purpose for us is in this day. That we will not be like a jet flying along with nothing left inside. But instead, we will usher in a new day here. A new day of Adventism, a new day of faith in our Lord Jesus and the promise of his return. Lord, I pray, help us to be on this purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.